Hello, I'm Mark Rees and welcome to my curious ghosts and folklore podcast where in each episode I investigate a different, weird and wonderful subject. And in this episode we are going to be whisked away to the realm of fairy. We are going in search of the fairy folk and... The reason for that is, as regular listeners will know, my last episode was particularly dark. It was probably the nastiest episode I've done yet. So for this episode, I thought, let's do the opposite. Let's think of the lightest, fluffiest subject in folklore. And what can be more light and fluffy than the fairies? Although... I should warn you, the fairies in Welsh folklore are not all happy Disney-like fairies. There are some nasty characters out there in the fairyland as well, but we'll get to them later. But on this episode, what I'd like to do is really to begin at the beginning and to tell you the origin of the fairy folk in Wales. Where did they come from? Well... I'm not going to be too specific, but I can tell you that they either come from the north of Wales, a gogledd, or they come from the south of Wales, a deer. And so your big question, I guess, between now and later on in this episode is to try and work out to guess which half of Wales you think the fairies originated from. Do they originally hail from the north? Or are they really southerners at heart? All will be revealed later on. Now, our guide into the land of the fairies is going to be one of my folkloric heroes. And he is an American writer who crops up again and again on this podcast. And that is Wirt Sykes. Now, Wirt Sykes, I would say, recorded more about fairies in Wales than anyone else and probably before anyone else and you might think that's quite strange that it's an American rather than a Welsh person doing that but Sykes really did embrace Wales Welsh culture he lived in Cardiff for many a year and it was while living in Cardiff the capital of Wales that he recorded all of these stories about not just fairies, about all of our our folklore, our customs, our traditions, our ghost stories. But it is the stories of the fairies I think he is probably best known for, or if not, that is how I think of him mainly as, as the man who recorded these tales. And the great thing about Sykes is that he was so thorough in his research, he was so extensive, that he recorded book after book after book of material. The downside when it comes to recording a podcast about it is that he was so thorough and he was so extensive in his research that if I were to sit here and to read to you every word that Sykes wrote down about Welsh fairies, I think... That would probably be my next 100 episodes sorted, and that's without me waffling in between. So what I'm going to do, what the idea is behind this episode, is to 
lay the groundwork, as it were, as I said, to talk about the origins, to go right back to the start, and to also to look at what people in Wales really thought about these stories of the fairies at the time. Because along with the fantastical tales that he collected, I think it's just as interesting that he recorded what people at the time in the late Victorian age actually thought of fairies. Did people in Victorian Wales really think there were mischievous little characters running around in the forests playing tricks on people and things? Or did they think this was all in the past? Or did they even think about it at all? Was it just not an issue? We will be looking at all of that in this episode. Anyway, that's enough build-up. Let's get on with the exciting stuff. And if we look right at the very first page of Sykes's book, or Sykes's tome, I should say, this really is an epic collection of fairy beliefs and fairy tales and stories. He begins with what I think is quite a bold statement to make. He states quite clearly, quite emphatically, that the experts, while they might disagree on a lot of other subjects, they know exactly where fairies come from or came from. Which is quite a big claim to make, I think. <laughs> we know exactly where fairies come from. And so when you compare this to something like, say, belief in ghosts, now that is much more ambiguous. There are some people, say, who believe these ghostly forms are the spirits of the dead returning to this earth to, to haunt us or to throw spoons at us, or whatever it is they might be doing, whereas there are other people who think it's a load of rubbish and there are no such things. That is not the case with fairies. With fairies, everyone agrees they all know where they came from. And what I'd like to do is to quote his exact words for you. This is how he opens his magnum opus on fairies. With regard to other divisions of the field of folklore, the views of scholars differ. But in the realm of fairy, these differences are reconciled. It is agreed that fairy tales are relics of the ancient mythology, and the philosophers stroll hand in hand harmoniously. So, Sykes is telling us that they can all categorically agree that they know that fairy tales are relics of ancient mythology. But while that might be what the experts believe or know, I am also interested in what the person on the street thought. What did the real people of Wales think? Well, luckily, Sykes also recorded some of their opinions. And while he published this in 1880, and you might be thinking that's a very rational age by then, but this was decades before the famous Cottingley Fairies incident. If incident is the correct word, <laughs> scandal maybe, I don't know. But it was in 1917, 37 years after this was published, that those very famous photos of fairies, which I imagine most people have seen, if not, I'd recommend having a quick internet search when you're able to, and I think when you do, you'll go, oh yeah, those photos, they are so, so 
famous, but they are black and white photos which were taken by two young girls, two cousins, Elsie Wright and Frances Griffiths, who were, as you might have guessed from the name, from Cottingley a village in Yorkshire. And the reason these photos became so famous is that they claim to show real-life fairies in them. Now, spoiler alert, they don't. Um, uh, And I can say that quite categorically because the two girls involved did much later in life confess to it. I I think it was in the 1980s. But anyway, that's all cleared up. Not that they really needed to confess. I think we all worked that one out. But at the time, they fooled many prominent people. And the most prominent one and the most influential one of all was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the man famous for inventing Sherlock Holmes, the world's greatest super sleuth, the the best detective ever to walk the planet. The creator of Sherlock Holmes was fooled by two little girls inventing photographs of fairies. And that is why, well, that's part of the reason why these photos were, were spread far and wide and why they became so famous. And there are many other, you know, examples out there of people believing in in fairy tales and things but i think that is probably the most famous at the time well the most famous ever with that in mind i don't think it's taken that much of a leap to say if people like conan doyle were being fooled in 1917 by photographs of fairies people in wales in 1880 could also have similar beliefs Now, back to Sykes and his research, and he writes that the realm of fairy, rather than being a literal realm out there somewhere where these little folk spend all day dancing in circles and making clothes out of flowers and then popping back and forth between worlds to, to visit us or whatever they were supposed to be doing, as mentioned, he believed this was all derived from ancient mythology. And the realm, in fact was the realm of childhood, the most poetic period of life. A realm we all occupy before scepticism has crept in as ignorance slinks out. And as Sykes notes, and I think this is a sentiment which rings just as true with a lot of us nowadays, if if not even more so, he says, the knowledge which introduced scepticism is infinitely more valuable than the faith it displaced. But, in spite of that, there be few among us who have not felt evanescent regrets for the displacement by the old faith in fairies. And so Sykes tells us that, yes, while it's a good thing, we have grown up and we now trust science rather than the, the, these childhood beliefs, we do have this sense of loss that the, this this magic in a way has been taken out of the world. And as he continues, there was something so peculiarly fascinating in that old belief that once upon a time, the world was less practical in its facts than now, less commonplace and humdrum, less subject to inexorable laws of gravitation, optics and the like. What dramas it has yielded, what poems, what dreams, what delights. 
And once again, Sykes just sums it up perfectly that there is there is very little I can add to that. We still, I think, some of us have that that longing to to re-enchant the world in a way, because yes, science is great and yes, we depend on it, but surely there must be something more to life, even if it's purely in our imaginations. And where better to look for that magic than in the realm of fairy? So, as mentioned, with all of this going on, what did those real people think at the time? Did they believe in fairies? Handily, Sykes does give his own opinion based on his experiences from talking to people, and also he records direct quotes from certain people about their beliefs in fairies. And on the whole, he, he plays it down. Belief and knowledge in these stories was very much on the way out when he started recording these. And he says that neither the vulgar or the educated people knew much about these stories. And this first quote, I think, is a great example of the kind of person who did not. And these are the words of a learned writer from 1858. And that writer said... The traveller may now pass from one end of the principality. And yes, apologies for using the word principality. I hate using it as much as you hate hearing it. But this is a direct quote from the 19th century, so there's not much I can do. So anyway, from one end of the principality to the other, without his being shocked or amused, as the case may be, by any of the fairy legends or popular tales which used to pass current from father to son. So by the mid-19th century, we've reached a point where it, it is said that these old tales which were passed down from generation to generation are reaching an end point, are dwindling out, and might well have dwindled out if it wasn't for the likes of Sykes again actually recording them for people like me to come along and, and to read about them in podcasts uh, centuries later. But to balance out that point, we also have another quote, this one from 1876, and this comes from a Mr. John Walter Lucas, who was president of the Cardiff Naturalist Society. And when talking about the ancient sites in Glamorganshire and the Cromlechs and places, he said there are always fairy tales and ghost stories connected with them. Some, though fully believed in by the inhabitants of those locations, are often of the most absurd character. In fact, the more ridiculous they are, the more they are believed in. And as for Sykes himself, he says... Looking at those two arguments and from his own observations, he is more inclined to side with the latter. That, in his personal opinion, these beliefs were still out there. And I think there's a very interesting parallel here with what Sykes then describes and what we see in our modern times and in any time. That... People, when asked about these beliefs, always like to claim it's something which happened 
in the recent past. 50 years ago is the usual one. Or another great way of distancing yourself from these beliefs is instead of claiming it's in the past, you claim it's in another part of the world or another part of the country. And there's a quote from a rector in Merthyr, which was recorded in 1877. He was an elderly man by this point, so I'm assuming he was born sort of turn, turn of the century, 1800s. And he says, I am old enough to remember that these tales were thoroughly believed in among country folk 40 or 50 years ago. And one very interesting observation which Sykes makes here, and we'll wrap up this bit on beliefs with this one, and then we'll actually get into the stories properly. But I think this might even be the key point to Sykes's argument, and that is, if you really want to know what people think about, what, what are some quite unusual topics, people are going to be sceptical. If you walk up to someone on the street and say, do you believe in fairies or Nessie or Bigfoot or whatever it might be, you might not get totally honest answers. But what Sykes does, his method is that, and I'm quoted, he says, to sink to this level successfully, one must become a living unit in that life as I have done in Wales and elsewhere from time to time. So this is an American who has not just popped over to Wales to ask a few questions. He has literally, he, he has effectively become Welsh. He has immersed himself in the country, in the culture. And then one will hear the truth from, or at least the true sentiments of, the class he seeks to know. So this really is full-on anthropology. This is throwing yourself in the deep end. If you want to know a country, if you want to know their beliefs, if you want to know if Welsh people believe in fairies, you have to go there, you have to live there, and you have to immerse yourself in the experience. And that is what Sykes did. And that is why I would say he has such an incredible collection of tales, a record of the time. And that is why people like me are still going on about it all these centuries later. And on that note, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up with the beliefs and turn our attention to the more fantastical stuff, the more weird and wonderful stories. And where better place to start than literally the beginning with the origin of the fairy folk. Where did these fairies come from? Well, it's now time for me to put you out of your misery, because I'm sure you've been sitting there all this time pondering whether or not they began life in the north or in the south. And I can now reveal, after one of my rubbish sound effects, let me just attempt a drum roll. It was in the Gogledd, up north. It is the northern half of Wales that we have to thank for the existence of the mischievous little fairy folk. Well, according to Sykes, that is. Now, this goes back to the days of King Arthur and before that, when the people of South Wales regarded North Wales as preeminently the land of fairy. So the land of fairy is no longer some imaginary place in the minds of children. It is a literal place and it is North Wales. 
in the popular imagination that distant country was the chosen abode of giants, monsters, magicians, and all the creatures of enchantment. Out of it came the fairies on their visits to the sunny land of the south. And no, that was not a mistake. Your years did not deceive you. To the sunny land of the south, the chief philosopher of that enchanted region was a giant who sat on a mountain peak and watched the stars. And just to interrupt myself again quickly, that giant is going to be the focus of an upcoming episode. So we, we won't dwell too much on that giant now, but it does feature quite prominently in my next book of Welsh folklore, which is due to come out in 2021. And so it's something I've been researching recently. So watch this space. But anyway, getting back to the quote, you've got the giant who watched the stars. It had a wizard monarch called Gwydion, who possessed the power of changing himself into the strangest possible forms. The peasant who dwelt on the shores of Dyved saw in the distance, beyond the blue waves of the ocean, shadowy mountain summits piercing the clouds and guarding this mystic region in solemn majesty. Thence, Roll down upon him the storm clouds from the home of the tempest. Thence streamed up the winter sky the flaming banners of the northern lights. Thence rose through the illimitable. You, you are not going to know this on the recorded version of this, but I, I have never said the word illimitable allowed before and it has taken me 200 re-records for that damn word so <laughs> i'm going to use it a couple of times now for practice illimitable darkness on high the star strewn pathway of the fairy king these details are current in the mabinogion those brilliant stories of welsh enchantment so gracefully done into english by lady charlotte guest and it is believed that all the Mabinogion in which these details were found were written in Dyved. This was the region on the west now covered by Pembroke, Carmarthen and Cardigan Shires. Now, anyone living in Dyved or the, the historic county of Dyved or anywhere in the northern half of the country might be feeling a little bit smug about now because that's where all the good stuff comes from, isn't it? That's where all the fantastical creatures are in the north and the people in Dyved get to write the Mabinogion. And the rest of Wales might be feeling a little bit left out. And personally, as a Portalbot boy, I've yet to hear my county mentioned. Well, it just so happens that the current county, because the counties have been chopped and changed since the Victorian times, but the current county of Neath Port Albert is coming up next. Because in the 1800s, everybody knew that Fairyland was in the Vale of Neath in Glamorgan. It was a fact. Fairyland was in Neath. Now, I did touch upon this in a previous episode about fairy dogs. I think that's episode nine. If you did want to go back and listen to more uh, fairy beliefs, but specifically about dogs, as, as you do, uh, at the end of this episode, that's episode nine. But special traditions have located fairyland in the Vale of Neath in the historical county of Glamorganshire, especially a steep and rugged crag called Craig Athenas. 
Dinas Rock. And this is quite an impressive place if you ever get the chance to go and see it. Sadly, I, I would usually say have a quick look on the internet and by all means do that, but the, the images online do not do it justice. And according to Sykes, it also has a distinctly awful reputation as a stronghold of the fairy tribe, which nowadays we might not think a fairy tribe being there was an awful thing. I mean, that might even be a tourist attraction. We might go out of our way to go and see the fairy tribe. But I think he's talking about more malicious fairies with that description. And its caves and crevices have been their favourite haunt for many centuries. And upon this rock was held the court of the last fairies who ever appeared in Wales. So, to sum up the history of the fairy folk in Wales quickly, they began life many, many years ago, before the time of King Arthur himself in the north of the country. From the north, they came down to enchant the south, and it was in Dovid where many a story like those medieval tales in the Mabinogion were recorded and then, in later years, made a stronghold in Craig Athenas in Neath, in the Vale of Neath, and they were there as late as the 19th century. And it's interesting to note that there were people still alive, or alive, who, who were contemporary to Sykes. So again, in the late Victorian age, there were people still alive who remember the visits of the fairies to Craig Athenas. And they also had an explanation as to why the fairy folk went away for good. They say they were driven away by the Methodists. So the Christian movement, the religious movement, drove them away. Although it wasn't necessarily their, their piety, their religious beliefs which drove them away. But the main part, so it is said, could be that the Methodists were teetotalers and... By cutting out the drink, people stopped seeing <laughs> little creatures running around at night. So, were these fairies in Neath purely the result of the residents of Neath liking to drink a little bit too much? It's not for me to say, so I I'm just going to let you make up your own minds on that one. Now, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, we have barely scratched the surface, really. All, all I've been able to do so far up until now is to really lay the groundwork of where the, these fairy beliefs are going to go on this podcast series. And this is an episode I am going to be referring back to again and again, I think. So I think it's nice to get this one sort of uh, out of the way, in a way. We, we've done the groundwork now. We, we can really get into the into the, the fun stuff, because there are some really fun stuff. Um, and all the different categories of fairies which Sykes recorded, you know, the fairies on the mountains and in the rivers and in the caves, are all, all have their own different personalities and peculiarities. But saying all of that, there is one glaring omission from this episode, which I think some people might pick up on. I, I, I hope they pick up on it anyway. And that is, I have referred to the fairies all the way through this episode as the fairies. Now, in Welsh, they are most commonly known as a Tuluth Tig. 
And there, there are quite a few variations of that name. And another popular one from the past was Bendith Amami, Blessing of the Mothers. And the reason I haven't dwelt on those names so much in this episode is purely because I think they need an episode to themselves to really dig into the, the meaning behind the, these Welsh language words. And I think when, when you have an understanding of these words, it, it does make things that little bit more magical. And anyway... We've reached the point in the episode where I like to ask what you think. Do you have any thoughts on these beliefs and these fairy stories from the past or from the present? Maybe you're from Neath and you've seen a fairy yourself. In which case, maybe the Methodists haven't driven them all away quite yet. And if so, as always, please get in touch. Let me know what you think about this episode or about any specific topics. And I can be tracked down either via my website or on social media. I'm on all the main social media platforms. If you do a search for Mark Reese and put the word ghosts in or folklore, I will pop up on top. And there's also the quick obligatory shout out. I know people are going to get sick of me doing this every episode, but it's my one little bit of self-publicity and it lasts about 10 seconds. But if you have enjoyed this episode, please consider hitting the subscribe button because that way you will never miss any of the future episodes, including all of the other fairy-related stories which are coming up, as well as all the other folklore I look at and ghost stories and weird and wacky things. And it'll make me very happy to know people are enjoying and would like to hear more episodes. And the next fairy episode, a bit of a, a teaser year, I guess, is going to be looking at a name which might be familiar to some of you, and that is the man who Sykes describes as the sovereign of the fairies, their special guardian and protector, Gwyn Ap Neath. Gwyn Ap Neath is on his way to this podcast, the sovereign of the fairies. But for now, I would like to wrap up this episode with a short verse from a poem which Sykes actually used to open his book on the realm of fairy, and I'm going to be alternative and, and, and punk rock about it and use it to close this episode instead. And it's a few lines from the Reverend John Logan, and he wrote a poem called Ode to Spring in 1780. So I'll finish this episode with a verse from Reverend John Logan, and it just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening. Diolch and Varianum Grando. I've been Mark Race. This has been my Ghosts and Folklore podcast. It's the best. It's the beautiful. It's the only Ghosts and Folklore from Wales podcast. And on that note, at eve, the primrose path along, the milkmaid shortens with a song, her solitary way. She sees the fairies with their queen trip hand in hand the circled green and hears them raise, at times unseen, the year-enchanting lay. No star. <laughs>